0: I've always said throughout the pandemic as well that you know humanity will prevail like we show some love some kindness and you know we'll all get through this and I guess getting through the pandemic right now I think that's what gives me the most like that's 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 what makes me yeah my my proudest work.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A lot of our guests fell into the food industry at a young age or always seemed destined for it, but some start careers in other vocations only to be lured by food and in turn have made a huge impact. Junda Koo is a chef and owner of Huljiuk with now with multiple locations. Junda, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. How about
1: you? good it's good to get you on the show you've had a hell of a year last year in 2022 with some real success coming out of troubled sort of times um what was it like for you
0: oh it was uh very very good it was fantastic uh to be honest i guess the hardship or everything started you know, when covid came and the whole industry was hit big time and you know just finding ways to survive to Pivot to keep all of my employees uh, still employed and, like you know, to put a roof over their head. And then after that, we had to struggle with the uh, labor shortages and all that kind of stuff. You know, big challenge. Twenty twenty two, I guess, was the year where, uh, at the start of the year, I said, "Let's you know, roll back to normality." And uh, yeah, it did. It was still, you know, really, really challenging in twenty twenty two. But I guess in a way, it's good that, like you said, we've achieved. recognition around and you know it's a good way to finish it off
1: tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing I know you've got multiple locations and they're all um, they're all quite different to each other can you tell us a bit about what you're doing
0: yeah so I started Hojia uh, eight years ago at Stratfield in an arcade it was a 12-seater restaurant I started the guess the Hojia brand with uh, my business partner and I with four employees uh, the idea for my first bench was to just uh, you know cook and share the street foods of malaysia Uh, and that was my entry into i guess the uh, restaurant industry because i'm not a trained chef myself Uh, i just wanted to really really just but i really really enjoy cooking so i just wanted to have a go and see what happens and then you know, after a year and a half, the queues at Just Strafu was uh, pretty long. It was about an hour and 45 minutes wait for food. And everyone was just saying, you, you need you need to get a bigger location. You need to go uh, have a bigger restaurant because it was only 12 seats. So that's when we ended up in uh, Haymarket. And, uh, you know, Haymarket, my grandmother, Amma, she's she's been a big influence in my life. She's the one that yeah, we fall in love with eating and then cooking. Uh, she raised me. And so... For Haymarket, it was a 110-seat restaurant, um, and and you know I wanted to pay homage to her. So uh, what we do at Hoja Haymarket was pretty much everything that she used to cook for me or the stuff that she used to feed me, uh, and that's how I wanted to pay homage to her. And before I start, yeah, before I started Haymarket, they were like, you know, you're crazy. Like, who's gonna pay money for? I guess, home-cooked food, right? And, uh, yeah, and then Haymarket became, <laughs> I guess, Haymarket and grew blew up, and, uh, and, uh, so at Haymarket, it was pretty much just Malaysian home-cooking stuff that my grandmother cooked, and then finally with, I guess, Town Hall, uh, it came to a point where I, th- I thought, you know, for a non-trained chef, I thought maybe my cooking skills has developed quite a bit, uh, maybe I can, uh, challenge myself and to, to 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 prove to myself that you know i maybe i am a good chef so at i opened town hall uh with the intention of showcasing the different regions of malaysian food but pairing them with the produce that we get in australia because a lot of our i guess asian cooking they they still import a lot of the produce from overseas because that's i guess you know, it's easy for them. It's comfort food for them. It's it's what they're good at. And that's what I did, actually, to be honest, at Stratfield and stuff like that. But at Taro, I wanted to push the boundaries of, uh, I guess, Malaysian food and my cooking as well. And so that's exactly what we did at uh, Taro.
1: Well, your success has been um, inspiring, and I want to get into that in a little while. But take us back to, to when you were young, and um, what sort of role did food play in your family?
0: Uh, food was very big. I mean, growing up in Malaysia, like, both... Uh, I guess my grandparents, they ran to Malaysia from the war in China, uh, and then they were put up in government housing where my dad was born. And you know, it was a government housing with just two bedrooms and one toilet, and it was about uh, eight or nine of them living in that one small place. So that's where the story of, I guess, my family started. That all grew up poor. The you know food food was i guess the thing that brought all of us together growing up was you know always having i guess the cheap stuff like we wouldn't be able to have prawns we'd be eating shrimp shrimps the size of like a five cent coin uh only you know maybe like when we achieved something or there was a reason to celebrate something that we would be able to eat the uh more expensive stuff and but again the food like my grandmother she was the pulling factor she was the person that brought everyone to the table uh for me growing up my fondest memories were when she started like in the morning i'd follow her to the wet markets and then uh we'd do our grocery shopping she'd feed me breakfast and then she'll hit back and then she'll start pounding stuff on the mortar and pestle and then that's when uh you know i, I would in the kitchen and watch her and I guess a lot of Malaysian cookings do with uh, a spice paste, what we call a repah. And so every time after punching or beating them up in the modern pestle, she just starts to sauté them. On the walk. the whole, because I guess, you know, it's such a small place anyway. The whole place will be filled with, you know, the aroma and like, no matter what, you would just, you, know, you you'd be attracted by the smell. And I guess that's, yeah, and that's. That was my childhood there. Um, Got deported to Sydney when I was 16. I got into a bit of a trouble in uh, Malaysia. I wasn't a very good kid. Didn't like stuff. Actually, uh, what sped up the process was I was actually got, I I got caught uh, shoplifting and uh, it was on the day of my math exam as well. And so, you know, I was in a bad crowd. uh, Well, to get, I guess, before even that where uh, we got to that point was i was bullied uh in school so uh, i was in year seven a whole bunch of guys a gang came and you know, they made fun of me and then uh they wanted to fight me and i said no nah, if i'm gonna fight you like, i'm gonna get in trouble i'll get i'll probably get uh you know thrown out of school so i didn't want to fight and then they just said you know what then if you don't want to fight you just have to stand there and let all of us slap you and then like you know they all took turns to give me on my face, and so I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I didn't really like school, and I thought the answers to to that was to join a gang, and that's what I did. So I joined a gang at school as well, and then I got into a lot of trouble. And then my parents sent me to Australia when I was uh, sixteen, and uh, yeah, I came here. I did high school year eleven, year twelve, managed to uh, get into uni. Uh, you know, I guess Australia, in a way, was. Uh, It changed my life so much because even in Malaysia growing up for your HSC, you had to do like nine subjects minimum and you had to 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 get a really good result. You had to do like 12 to 13 subjects. There was no balance at all. You just had to study, 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 study. And if you weren't getting, you got to go get tuition and stuff like that. And then when I finally came to Australia in year 11, it was like for the HSC, you have to do a minimum of four subjects. I was like, what four subjects are you, you know, you think me like this is so different to Asia and Then and so with a minimum of four subjects that allowed me to have so much more of the times to sign up for the soccer team the volleyball team the basketball team and you know started representing school and started you know playing comp and going to district finals and stuff like that and I think that really changed me because it gave you or it gave me the confidence uh, to, to be able to I guess uh, do what I want rather than what I'm told to do you know so changed my life Got a decent score for HSC. Got into UTS. Uh, did a double degree, majored in finance and IT project management. Graduated. Graduated. That uh, got a job at the banks, Commonwealth Bank. Finished up at ING. Uh, worked for about a year and a half or so in the big banks, and then uh, and you know it's sort of like I I was so drawn to the food industry and that I guess my bubble burst when I thought, when I was aspiring to, 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 to I guess, play the corporate game. I wanted to go make my way all the way up, to, you know, a director or a CEO level. And throughout my year and a half in the finance industry, I realized that it's going to be a long road. It's going to be... There's so much politics at work. There's so there's just so much going on, and so when I got a promotion, and uh, my boss told me, like you know, sign this promotion, I said, give me time to think. I went back to Malaysia on a holiday. I came back, and I just quit. I left the finance world. Yeah. Left the finance world. I walked into a coffee shop and I said, can you teach me how to make coffee? I want to be a barista because <laughs> this 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 is uh, how many years ago was this? I think I was 20. 24, so like 12 years ago. At that time, the cafe industry was booming in Sydney, right? Like everyone was opening cafes and like it was, I guess that was my entrance into the food industry.
1: What did your family think of that massive shift after all of the education and move into finance?
0: Of course, they didn't agree. They didn't agree at all. (laughs) Like even before that, like I I didn't want to go to uni as well. uh, And, you know, my family, my dad, my mom, they always... They've always been like Asian parents, they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, and stuff like that, of course. Of course, that's standard. Uh, but I didn't want to go to uni. I thought maybe I could try cooking school. But my dad actually said, you know, don't, don't waste your life. Universities are just gonna be four years of your life. Uh, go to university. And actually have fun like it's going to be the best time of your life you got the friends that you make at uni are going to be your friends for your life and that's exactly what he said to me and i thought all right i'll listen to you this uh this time that and you know he was right. he was always right and the i'll be honest the stuff that i learned at university is what you know uh not so much the stuff that i learned at university the time that i had go uh, going to university friends that i made that's who that's what made me who I am and that's what uh, I guess shaped me as a person and and a character to to be able to I guess do what I do now
1: takes back to that cafe and when you first made that shift how did it make you feel um, working in the hospitality sector after being in finance
0: I loved it I loved it so I I went in I got my barista course I, uh, I, 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 I was at 24, I, was, I opened my first cafe uh, with uh, the three boys, uh, my uni friends, right? So four of us, I didn't have enough money. I needed them to chip in. We started a cafe for with 100,000. So we did all the stuff. We renovated the place and uh, we finally got the approvals and we were gonna open, let's say the next day. Uh, out of the four boys, the other two were still at their office jobs. It was just me and Guy Roden to, to uh, run the cafe, right? So, we're opening the next day at 6.30 in the morning. On that night, we closed up at 7. We were tired. We were so, so tired from setting all that up. We went home to rest for the opening tomorrow. At about 10 p.m., I got a call from the hospital. Rodan just got into a motorbike accident. He was too tired. He fell asleep. Uh, he hit a curb, and boom. So, me and my the other boys, we left the hospital at about 2 in the morning. Rodan actually left the hospital six months later. So, but... The show still had to go on, right? The show still had to go on. And so the next day, I opened the cafe by myself, me, one person. uh, At 6.30, there were queues out the door. And that's... I always remember and I always tell this story because that to me is my my first taste of the industry. Like uh, if you ask me how I felt, I, I, all I can say is I love it it's it's tough it's so damn tough it was my first day and you know my business partner stuck in hospital for six months and I got to do this all by myself and you know that's what the industry is and uh, I just love it
1: was, was there any experiences from the world of finance that have helped you in the running of these multiple venues now?
0: Oh yeah definitely definitely so the uh Yes, finance is um, not so much finance, but more so like accounting and uh, taxation and all that kind of stuff. Those those really help on the book side of the business. Whereas like the finance, my dad has always been a businessman, and I learned a lot of stuff from uh, about running a business from from my dad. And so I guess the. The rule to, for me, the rule to running a business or a restaurant or a cafe has always been: the business has to come first. Like you have to make sure that the business is healthy, it's profitable. It's, it's, it's. It, then that, that only you can do and chase and pursue other, I guess, uh, aspirations that you have for the business. I think a lot of people don't, don't quite do that, they always just go like, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And then when they finally do it, that's when they actually realize, oh, you know what, this is a wrong business model. We're actually losing money. We're actually, yeah, we're, 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 it's, it's not right. And so for me, it always has to be business first. And that's the one thing that I learned from my dad.
1: Tell us about entering the world of, of cooking and, you know, paying homage to your grandma's food. What was it like learning those dishes and teaching yourself how to cook?
0: Yeah. So a lot of a lot of my 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 journey to to where i am right now is actually hard work because i wasn't a trained chef let alone i wasn't a trained restauranter so i you know right cooking is one thing running a team running a kitchen running a front of house running service running bar that's a whole different story that I, i'd have to learn along the way i learn something every day and i guess for me it has always been hard work persistence i do it again and again and again and again and again until I get it and I improve a little bit by a little bit every day until we get to a point. So for example, like my grandmother's dishes, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to pay homage to her was because her health was already deteriorating at that time and um, she she was already wheelchair ridden. And So by the time I said, all right, Amak, can you teach me how to make all of these dishes? She couldn't. So I had to cook from taste memory like how i remembered uh how it tasted like back then and so i had no recipes no nothing to follow i just had to you know just go and cook it all right I, it needs a little bit more of this a little bit more of this and we're missing this we're missing that and so we just that's how a lot of my cooking is that we just try and 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 try and, try and so finally i go all right that tastes like how i remembered it to be let's put it on the menu
1: is there a dish or two that you can tell us about that that underwent this process that sort of a, a, sort of exemplify what you're doing?
0: Yeah. So, for example, the the uh, steam eggs at uh, Haymarket. Right. It's basically uh, egg custard that that's uh, steamed with chicken, duck, and century eggs. Okay. So, we were going to do it again such a simple thing it's just steamed eggs alright surely we can't fail so we steam the eggs comes out looks like looks terrible doesn't even taste close to the one that my grandmother made and then it's like went wrong right so again the simple things are the easiest to screw up but when done right it can be amazing so then after that throughout the whole time of experimenting and perfecting the dish you realize that number one the water ratio to the egg ratio number two how much of the salted egg and how much of the century egg that you can actually put to have the balance of the taste and then number three even steaming everyone just thinks that Oh, for me anyway as a non-trained chef i thought ah steaming 100 degrees for sure just put it in then you realize that oh if you steam eggs at 100 degrees, it will curdle up, like it will have the uh, craters on the top. And that's when I started like, oh, playing around with it. I went to, oh my God, the best the best result is when you steam these eggs at 80 degrees. And who would thought that, you know, for me, that was a burst in my bubble because for me, steaming a dish has always been 100 degrees Celsius. That's when, that's when uh, water boils, that's when the steam comes out. But, you know, I was so wrong. And so that's, I guess, an example of, of such a simple dish that took uh, quite a bit of work, quite a bit of time, quite a bit of failures to, to get to where uh, it was today.
1: Malaysian cuisine has um, many influences and is incredibly intricate. Can you tell us a little bit about it and um, are there some dishes and different regions you can tell us about?
0: Yeah, so the best example is laksa, right? Uh, we love our laksas here in Australia and Sydney. Uh, but I can guarantee you to, if let's say you go and taste 10 different laksas in Sydney, even the 10 laksas will all taste different because in Malaysia, it's our, I guess a lot of uh, Southeast Asian cooking, not just Malaysia, it's all regional. So like uh, laksa up north in Malaysia, we call it like a curry mee and then uh, laksa down south is is a laksa johor. Again, it's different. It's, It's still a laksa, but it's all very, very different based on region. And then coming from Malaysia, then you have the multicultural, culture the, the, the different races. You have the laksas that are cooked by the Chinese, the laksas that are cooked by the Malays. They're going to be different again. So, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, it's so regional, and that's what I've been trying to tell a lot of people, that you can't just say that this laksa is good, this laksa is not good. You have to try to understand what the, the chef of the restaurant is trying to cook. Like, he might be trying to cook a laksa from the north, but you've been used to eating a laksa from the south, and the, taste the laksa from the north and you go hang on a minute that's not a laksa it is like you know, it, 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 you know. <laughs> it might not suit your taste but it doesn't mean that it's a bad laksa it's just it's just from a different region the chef probably comes from the north or the east you know so
1: yeah. tell us about um your approach to to laksa can you um what, what makes a great one
0: to me i like my laksa on the heavier side so more uh, I like a laksa, lemak, lemak being the fat content in the laksa. Uh, the reason why, like to me, what um, I'm an I'm a pretty emotional, nostalgic, and sentimental guy. Uh, my dad, growing up, my dad played a lot of golf. too, that was his only outlet, and he that was his uh, I guess ways of closing business deals. So we didn't really see much of him, but when we we, we had the chance we would go to the golf club where he was playing golf uh, when he finished golf he would eat with us at the uh, coffee club at the golf club right and I always had this laksa it wasn't the best it wasn't the greatest uh, it was a uh, laksa at the Malay and fast forward maybe a few years later as we were growing up my dad actually gave up golf he gave up golf because he just realized that you know my kids are growing up and I want to spend more time with them and just because of that very simple fact that i that that's why i remembered the taste of that laksa so much and that is that laksa that i put in all of my restaurants the laksa lemak i mean i could have done laksas you know a thousand different ways but i wanted to put that particular laksa on the menu across all hotel just because of the fact that my dad gave up golf to spend more time with us so you know what (laughs) i guess what makes for me what what makes so you know something. Uh, good or delicious I, it, it, a lot of it comes down to yeah, nostalgic uh, memories and stuff like that but again at the same time uh, you know the personally a lot of laksas are actually delicious laksa or curry mee is what, one of my uh, death, row, death row meals so like if you actually uh, I guess follow me on Instagram and you see whenever I go back to Malaysia I'll have a bowl of laksa a day every day long as i'm there like it will be all different i will have the the the, the yeah all, all the different from all the different places
1: you, your dad uh, quit golf to spend more time with the kids you've got a young family now and three um thriving businesses how, how do you manage that balance of uh, work and life
0: uh very good question i'm still trying to find it <laughs> i guess we the uh, in the, being in this industry, it's uh, very—it's uh, quite hard to find the balance. You, you, you have to, in a way, I guess my advice is make do with what you have. Uh, even if you do find a, a, a balance of like, say, you get to work five days a week or something like that. But every time, the time that we work, let's say dinner service, that's our working time. But for our kids, that's when, you know, you're meant to be putting them to, to bed, you know, kissing them, reading them stories. But you'll never be able to to do that if you're in this industry like unless you do you know just a cafe job or stuff like that so personally if you ask me it's about making the most of what you have uh right now i'm working six days a week still um i spend the whole on my, my day off the whole day with my family and you know we just make the most out of the time that we have it's personally if you're if you ask me it's always it's more of a quality over quantity and like if you get to spend a quality one day it's better than spending six you know normal days with them I uh, whenever I get to let's say we're not having a busy dinner service and I get to go home a bit earlier then yes I'll head home uh, I will tuck them to bed I'll read them a bedtime story uh, uh, what I do every morning as well is uh, I, 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 I make breakfast for them every day pack their lunchbox in. I drop them off at school and then that's uh when i actually uh, start my day so
1: the, the culinary landscape in australia is a myriad of all sorts of cuisines all around the world um how, how do you see malaysian in the australian dining landscape and the level of its maturity at the moment uh
0: it's i guess just like everything else it takes time uh when I first came here 20 years ago, there was plenty of Chinese food, there was plenty of Vietnamese food. And then the last 10 years, uh, I guess the Korean and the Thai, It's I see more and more of them uh, coming up. I guess right now is the time for Malaysian food. As you can see, more and more Malaysian restaurants are popping up. And so uh, with time, I think Malaysian food in Sydney or in Australia will be one of the main cuisines as well. But I uh, that, 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 that's actually what makes Australia Australia. Like That's what makes be such a beautiful place like you can get you know the best Jap food the best thai food the best Korean food the best greek food the best italian food like we're so multicultural here and that's yeah that's the beauty of sydney if you ask me
1: yeah you had a big year last year and um an incredible um set of restaurants do you have any plans for the year for for more restaurants
0: um at the moment no uh so what i want to do in 2023 is probably uh, take the year to actually stabilize everything uh, not forget you know we just came out of three years of uh, covid and i guess in a way that we're slowly fixing the labor shortages and the it, it takes time to go back to normality i hope that 2023 will really be just another normal year which is i guess boring but it's fantastic for me because the last years a bit hectic and stressful, uh, but then yeah, so we've we recently opened uh Chatswood, am uh, by Hocha in Chatswood, uh, last year. So that one has it is time for me to go in there to, I guess, uh, you know, stabilize that too. And then if there's you know, if there's a plan, maybe in 2024, like towards the end, we're looking at Melbourne, uh, but we don't know, we, we actually don't, uh, it's, it's not. Nothing's confirmed, nothing's on pen and paper.
1: Well, you're doing amazing things for Malaysian food in Australia. What do you love about what you do? Um, To be
0: honest, it's, I think I wrote this or I said this somewhere, Uh, when I, COVID changed so many things. Uh, Before, I actually opened town hall two days before our lockdown. So we opened on a Friday. Uh, The government came and announced that we're going on lockdown. Monday, everyone's in lockdown. Um, I actually opened Town Hall for the reasons of trying to get those recognition. I wanted to get ahead. I wanted to be on the list of, you know, delicious 100, I'm gonna stop it yet. I wanted all of that. Um, and then COVID came and the last three years has changed me so much. It's uh, opened my eyes big time. And you know, after three years, yes, I did achieve all of those those were my dreams I did achieve all of those but I guess what gives me the the most uh, recognition or what makes me the most proud is to to see my guys uh, that has you know survived COVID too not just my guys but like everyone else in the industry who has actually survived this whole pandemic and coming out stronger than before and you know the whole how we all got together uh, to, to survive. Like, uh, I've always said throughout the pandemic as well, that, you know, humanity will prevail. Like we show some love, some kindness, and, you know, we'll all get through this. And I guess getting through the pandemic right now, I think that's what gives me the most, like, that's, that, that's, that's, that's what makes me, yeah, my, my proudest work. You know, I, I, I want to do, I know it has nothing to do with Malaysian food or Malaysian that That's how I feel. <laughs>
1: Well, you're an inspiration, and it's, a, it's an honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today uh, to hear just a part of your story and look forward to seeing what evolves from here. Um, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.